Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? <laughs> Higher Learning is on. It is I, Van Lathan Jr. And it's me, Rachel Lynn Lindsay. What is with this? Inter- is it because it's we switched our time and now we're podcasting in the morning? Do you, you like that? We're doing it in the morning. So you like, you like I got that a better? lot of more. I got a lot more energy. You know what I mean? I got a lot of stuff. Whoa, whoa. You know what I mean? So it's it's time to go. Do you do you feel like you have more energy? No, but I do like recording earlier in the morning. I feel like I'm getting the day going. We're going to be done at a certain time, and it feels like a gift to have so much time for the rest of my day. Anything to make you do less work. In anything that I just said, could you have it? Could you have interpreted that? No, stop. Albert Hughes is on the show today. Yeah, let's change the subject. Albert Hughes is on the show today. You got sniped at. It's okay. Who? You got sniped at. I sniped. When I'm the more energy to have, the more I, the I have, the more I snipe. All right. Well, we need to go back to the afternoon. Snipper, the sniper, sniper, sniper. No sniping. Remember, you, you don't were, want you me to. Watching, you don't want me to snipe back, man. You can't snipe. You don't want me to. You, Rachel. If we get in the snipe contest, I feel like we all know how it's gonna go. <laughs> Come on, man. You don't want to snipe with me. Keep that energy. Because then you won't be ex- you won't be expecting it when I snipe back. Okay. You won't be ready. Okay. Yeah. Sniping is snipe. Okay, <laughs> you, snipe. you don't know. I've never had to unleash that on you. And I hope you, I you, never do. You I haven't. I nev- you haven't. You unleashed it on Larry Elder. And like, it's your campaign. <laughs> it's your campaign, Larry. It's your campaign, Larry. That vein Face, popped out of your you I was like, actually scared. Because I've never seen you like that before. Like you, well, it was, it's I snapped because I was listening to him and in my mind I was like, it's your fucking issue. It's your campaign. What the fuck? And then I just, it just came out of me. But you, you jumped. I was like, oh my God. That was she's nothing. Really, she's really serious. It's nothing. Um, yeah, so look. Albert little, Hughes. Albert Hughes. Oh yeah, Albert Hughes on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Continental mm-hmm. from the world of John Wick is on Peacock right now. We talked to Albert about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tupac, Mel Gibson, the whole nine. It's a great interview. I'm so happy to have the Hughes brothers on the show. Uh, I don't think they know how important their movies were to me when I was coming up, getting into movies, Menace Society, Dead Presidents, American Pimp, all those films. Great. What Glad year did Menace Society come out? I want to say 93, maybe 94. Yeah, so I, you know, you, we know my story. I definitely didn't get into the movies until college, but... You, you didn't see Menace Society until you were in college? Yeah. 93? I was... What eight. year is this? What, what year did you see Menace Society? So I'm in college 2003, so... Somewhere between 2003 and 2007. But I wasn't... I, I, so you never... I mean, you're younger than me. So we should still, say this. it came out uh, yeah. when I was eight. There was no way my parents were letting me watch right. those movies. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I guess that makes sense. Um, you're, you're, you're younger than me, and you grew up within the walls of Jericho. Within the walls of Jericho, yes. I'm trying to think. When I'm I was, reading the book of Eli. Trying to think what the craziest movie I saw in like 88, 89 was. My, obviously, my parents didn't really care about this type of stuff. They really didn't care. But they, when I tell you they just didn't care, <laughs> they didn't give a fuck what you listen to, what you watch. My dad, one time, he was like, uh, he, I had the Doggy Style CD. He's like, this is like obviously a little bit later. I had the Doggy Style CD. He was like, let's just do it. Put it in real quick. Put it in. Let me see what you jamming to. And I was fucking just absolutely terrified. And he was like, God damn. 
That nigga talking some shit on this bitch. <laughs> Just be careful with some of that stuff, son. That's all he said. That's all he would say. Dad would come in, see me, with, with, see me with my gun. I would, I would just take <laughs> shells, put them in my gun, and just eject the shells out. Mm-hmm. Like when I couldn't mm-hmm. shoot anything, mm-hmm. I would just put them in and just work my shotgun and just work my shotgun. My dad would see me, he'd be like, "I'd right, be careful with the shotgun, son. You all right? <laughs> yes, sir. Move on. See, I don't think, yeah, I would probably have a very similar experience to the guns. With the gun? Yeah. Like yeah, he, he grew up with guns in the house. He took a shooting. Like that was, that was, that was nothing. Right. But the movies, nah. the music. <laughs> Even when he saw it, I was in the porn, he would be like, oh. wait, 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 wait. What do you mean doing? he saw you were in a porn? Did he catch you looking at porn? Did you, you I've told this story before. I don't know. I don't recall. Donnie, have I told the story about how the cable bill got high? Um, yeah. maybe that part I've sounds that familiar. So he knew it was me. I'm thinking catching you in the act, I guess, is more of my They caught me. He caught me in the act one time. Yeah, jacking just, off, but it wasn't. You haven't wasn't, told this. Oh yeah, so my dad caught me jacking off one time, but it wasn't to porn. It was to a Janet Jackson video. Okay, maybe. We told this I think story. you told that one. Yeah, told that story as well. So I mean, he was he would just he would say, "Hey, just you know, don't pull it off." He's like, "Don't like well, just sound advice." Like, he's like, "Yo, you know, one time I remember, uh, everybody was in the house was looking for the lotion, but I had it in the shower <laughs> with me." And, and I came out, and my daddy was like, you're well lubricated, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and then the whole house started laughing. It's like one of those moments that would be in the sitcom. I got the towel around me. I'm looking, and everybody's <laughs> laughing. And I just go in my room and have just like a lonely moment. <laughs> just like every, everybody's, like my sister's getting her hair done. She's like, ha, 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 ha. That's like, ha, 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 ha. And everybody's laughing because they know I'm in the shower <laughs> jacking off. And then my dad, I'm in the room. And my dad goes, all right, that's enough. We got to go. <laughs> and I wasn't even doing it anymore. Mortified. And then I just like ran out of the door. Like, I'm not doing anything. And he's like, all right, come on now. Like, we get it. You know, you, 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 you're exploring. It's okay, boy. Just be careful. That's all he would say. Did you ever bring it back into the shower? Or were you just too shamed from well, that? Well, I had used it all up. Well, I mean. So at this, point, at this point, the, the, you know how the, the, the thing comes off of the lotion and you're just like. Yeah, yeah. Out oh, so that, I- I'm in the shower, but yeah, like trying to get that. That was out, you know. Uh, and so, and after that, my father just lets things go. It's mom that wouldn't let it go. Mm-hmm. It's mom that would just say things. She'd be like, "Son, like you had a great game on the baseball diamond today. Thank you, mom." She's like. I've noticed you're throwing harder, and I think we all know why. <laughs> That's how I would be. And I'd be like, just like, and just, you know, I'm in the car with my friends, and they don't know what's happening. And so I'm like, why, why does it always have to be, you know what I mean? Like, why does it, why does, why is everything a joke? I would do that. Is In my house, it's a question I ask my mom and my dad, like, why is everything a joke? Why is it all a joke? You know, the only thing that, if he, if you broke his rules, then he was pissed. Yeah. But like, on stuff like that, he wasn't, he wasn't too much about it. How was your weekend, Rach? Um, what did I do this weekend? It was chill. I didn't do much of anything, but for the life of me, I cannot think of what I did this weekend. What did you do this weekend? Like, give me some time to think about it. What did you do? Um, watch football. Hmm. Uh, watch LSU. Hmm. Very upsetting. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, how could I forget? Yeah, we lost to Ole Miss. Why you were you? But and you didn't points. just lose. You flew all the way down there. I like, wasn't at the game. You didn't go to the game. No, but you I, went to talk about the game. I, no, no, no. I went to do a live show with Ryan Rosillo. Shout out to Ryan Rosillo's Rudy. Donnie was there. 
Donnie was there too. Wow, yeah. whole high learning alley. Oh, we had a fun. I have FOMO. No, we had a fun, a fun, a fun, a fun. I'm sure Donnie, you did. We have a fun. It was good. I didn't expect to have I as much have fun as in fun. Oxford, Mississippi, as I did. I we had a we had a fun, a fun, a fun. Um, but then I came back Saturday morning, so I wasn't. At oh, that. okay, okay. Yeah, well, good thing. Good thing you didn't points. stay around for that beating. Hey, it's not a beating. We lost. I mean, we lost. We lost. You don't look good. We look good on offense. The defense is terrible. Yeah, we look good on offense. Our defense is it's the worst defense I've seen in LSU. The offense, I mean, you can't ask for much more. We ran for. 200 yards. We threw for four something. The defense is just terrible. Couldn't stop them. Couldn't stop them. Lost. I didn't waste my time watching it. I watched Colorado. Colorado game. Um, and I watched Texas. Texas. Texas might be the best team in the country. We got a big game coming up though this week. Yeah, Red River Shootout. Red River Rivalry. Like, should I go down there? Yeah, go down there. Go down. I got to make sure I can secure tickets. You should go down there as soon as you tell me who starts in the secondary for Texas. <laughs> name me three, name me three players I, I don't understand man name me three players I'm that start in the secondary try. for Texas I'm not even name me try. one who is Texas's offensive coordinator Sark calls the plays don't matter I'm asking <laughs> Sark, who does, see, Sark does, see, the, such Sark a does, the, does the play calling but am I wrong am I wrong he probably does call <laughs> I mean uh-huh. he's, like, he's, a, he's a play caller um, but shout out to Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss look the only thing I'll say about this is getting paid $10 million a year. T-Bob Abraham said it on Whiskey and Wine after the game. You're getting paid $10 million a year. You got to go win that game. You have to win the game. I was talking so much shit in Oxford. As you should. I would have been too if yeah, I was there. For... Like you, you got to go win that game. So we'll see what um, happens with LSU. And right Cowboys now. won. Cowboys won. Yeah. Dominated. Who did they play? Patriots. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's you kicking Bill's ass right there. Mac Jones. Uh, you think, cause so you're saying right now, you're on record. <laughs> they look terrible. You're on record. Cowboys, Super Bowl. I said they will go to the NFC Championship. So Texas will win the national championships. What you're saying? You're on. They're the going. They they're probably the most complete team in college football right now. They're going. You think they're going to go to the national four. championship? Right now, if they took the top four as it is, it would be really interesting because it's not all SEC dominated. Finally, Only you'd have one team Georgia. In the top 10. You'd have Georgia, mm-hmm. Michigan, Ohio State, Texas. That would be a good playoff that I would want to watch. It would be. Mm-hmm. But before we get there, a lot of things are going <laughs> to shake out. A lot has to happen. Still early. Even but like with Colorado. Even and with, it's in Houston. Even with Colorado. Even with Colorado. Uh, Colorado valiantly came back from being like down a lot of I points. I had given up on them. Yeah. I kind of took a break and I came back and I was like, whoa. SC is the LSU of the West with a better offense. They have a slightly better offense. Because they have the best player in the country. Oh, because their defense is has not no, good. Has no yeah. defense. And I, I said before this, and a lot of people were uh, getting at me on Twitter. I said, as weird as it sounds, I said, SC coming to Boulder is a winnable game for Colorado. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Colorado didn't show up early in the game. So that looked uh, very stupid. And people were getting at me on the old Twitter sphere. Of course when Colorado started to come back, those mm-hmm. same people went silent when the game ended up, you know, Colorado covered in the game and the game ended up being only a seven-point game. You see that SC has major problems on yeah. defense. And the reality is, that's pretty much the DNA of most Lincoln Riley coach teams. And I feel, but I feel like nobody was talking about that. All they kept talking about was Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams, He's Caleb Williams. I'm not taking that away from you him like at him. all. Not taking that away from him. I'm just saying that's what they pointed to more than talking about the defense. Um, I did do something this weekend that you're going to be disgusted by what? when I tell you. Um, something with white people. I watched, yeah, I watched a movie, a very <sighs> old movie that I had never seen before. It was quite good. Give me, 
Let's 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 play it. Okay. Let's play the old movie. You need to give me hints okay. to the old movie that you saw for the first time. Okay. You hit. Okay. We talked to Albert Hughes about the um John Wick universe. Yes. The lead character in that was in this movie. It's Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. That's one hint. Bill and Ted. No, we remember we had the whole Bill and Ted. Remember, I, know, but I, I had never maybe heard you of that made in up my life. For it and you went to go see the shit. No, I saw the latest. That was enough. Uh, Speed. No. Point Break. No. What, Would you like another hint? What era did this come out in? The nineties, I believe. So early nineties or late nineties? Late nineties, I think. What genre of movie is this? I don't know what suspense. The Devil's Advocate. Yeah. So you had never seen that before. Never seen it, and neither had Brian. Wow. And we watched we watched it, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a fun it's movie. Very to watch, good, right? Now let me ask you this: Going into that movie, you knew the premise. You knew, no, I so did you didn't not. know that he was the devil. No, I thought that that was just like I don't know a metaphor or something. When, okay, so this is interesting because we litigated this. Oh, on rewatchables. On the rewatchables. If you did not know, when did you know in the movie that he was the devil? I questioned it till the very end. Because I really just thought... Question, what to the very I end? didn't really think he was the devil. I was kind of like, mm. But I guess when he touched the holy water... And it started to fucking sizzle? boil? I'm yeah, like, like, I'm like... He's, yeah, he's the, he's the devil I just kind of thought he was like this evil, you know, businessman who like, like he had devilish ways. I did not think he was the actual devil. I really didn't think that. But okay. then when he went in church, he was like having a good time and like looking up at the angels and everything and touched that water. I was like, oh, he is. is the devil. Yeah, but you know, like Charlize um, Theron, who I had no idea was in that. Theron. Theron. Theron, who I had no idea tis. who was in that movie. Mm-hmm. No idea. I just thought she was seeing things. I thought she was like going crazy. Yeah. So when people's faces were, were distorted, I thought, so were they demons? Now, to be honest with you, that's unclear. It's unclear if everybody that worked I think they were, and I'll tell you Milton's why. firm were demons and in on it. The one lady at the end was definitely a demon because remember she goes, Yes. He's waiting for you. Well, and then you have to go out there. It's unclear because I don't think Eddie Barzoon was a demon. Well, is that the black man? No. Eddie Barzoon is the guy. That got killed when he was jogging. Oh, no. I don't think he was a demon. Right. So, but so the every, black couple was. They, I think they probably were demons because they were so close to Milton. So I don't I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. But their face is distorted. Eddie's never dis, was distorted. Eddie's never distorted. Eddie got killed by people whose face is distorted. By the way, if you guys haven't seen The Devil's Advocate. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> it, it, okay. Um, Connie Nielsen, uh, Al Pacino. Um, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Charlotte Tamara Tooney, I think that's her name. Am I saying that right? Who? Who's that? The black lady. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she's on SVU or something. Which like is that. how I know her. And which like is also that. how I knew Connie. Yeah. First from SVU, both. Really? Before anything else. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, but you liked it. It's a good movie. Good movie. It was very Can good. But interesting question. Yeah, because I just kept saying, no, he's not the devil. Like, that's so not realistic. So you didn't think that he was the devil or that he had supernatural powers? I did not think he had supernatural powers at even, all. Even on the subway when he told the guy everything that was happening towards him. I just, I didn't. Maybe I fell asleep during that part. Interesting. 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 Well, good move. I'm glad you guys has, did some cultural shit. I'll just be <laughs> in the house working out, drinking. Uh-uh. I am still haven't had a drink. I could tell. 
What what is that supposed to mean? Do you like it better? You like it better with or without the drink? I like it better a little bit when you drink. Jeez. <laughs> oh, you come in here, you're a little loopy. Like, That's I don't you, come in here uh, drunk. You, don't you, start you, that. You come in here a little bit sauced up. You come in here like, what's don't up? Don't start that. Hey, you got your shades on. <sighs> what are you talking My about? My God, you put your shades up like that, and then I see you drop the visine in. Like, Great. <laughs> okay. Like, Not oh. necessary for drinking. You ever seen Leaving Las Vegas? No. Now, if you want to talk about you and how you are, you should see that movie. That's and you. who am I in that movie? You've never seen it, so it doesn't make any sense for me to tell Who's you. Who's in that? Nicholas Cage? Nicholas Cage. You will see, see that movie. See, That's I you. knew that. That's you. You watch you and Brian watch Leaving Las Vegas. No, I don't want to see it now. And no, don't bring it up on the computer. Leaving Las like you, I just want to see who's in it. You is uh Elizabeth Shue and Nicolas Cage. He won the the best actor Academy Award for that. For all you people out there, I think Nicolas Cage can act. He's a fucking fantastic actor. He's just crazy. But yeah, that's you. That's that's a movie about Rach in Vegas. Rach in Las Vegas. When Ben meets the beautiful prostitute, they strike up an unconventional relationship. That's it. One where she can't ask him to curb his drinking. And he can't <laughs> for her, for her. <laughs> Let's get started with the podcast. Um, before we get started with the podcast, I just want to get just your opinion on something. Okay. We're gonna. This is called Pleasantries Plus. Okay. Because we got right, a lot of like stuff that. to talk about. Got to talk about Tupac. Got to talk about what's going on in California now. Talk about. Um, <laughs> RFK Jr. a little bit, uh, some Jay-Z clips, but there's something that just popped up. It's very easy. I just want to talk about it. Donnie, can you give me that 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 clip of Terrell Owens talking to Chad Elisosenko, please? My experiences with black women growing up wasn't so good. When I started dating white girls, my first experience with white girls is when I went to college. I tried to date some black girls when I was in college. They did not like me. I was skinny. I right. was strong. Right. I was I was teased from high school, even college. I got teased for being dark skinned. Damn, so they, was, they tease you, cuz? Yeah. So there was a lot of self, a lot of self esteem issues. Right, right, right. No, I'm I'm being I'm being yep. dead honest. So when I when I got my opportunity, when my my first experience with a white girl, I'm like, okay, it wasn't bad, but that wasn't. I just totally gravitated to to white girls after that. Right. That wasn't the situation. So again, my experiences with black women growing up wasn't so good. So, but that still didn't deter me from still dating or pursuing right. black girls. Right. So my thing now is <clears throat> because I know there's the stigma, uh, the, the stereotypical of, of athletes, you know, to, to to go off and make money, this and that, and and date uh, the opposite color, mm -hmm. opposite race. But for me now, where I am, it's not even about it's not even about about color it's not even about race mm -hmm. for me it's about somebody that i have some chemistry with mm. good energy and a, and i get a good vibe with right. that's that's where i am like i said we all want somebody that's attractive right you right. know what i mean aesthetic's going to play a big part in it don't, anybody that says oh well i don't care what the person looks like that's a lie that's a lie we all want somebody that we can roll over and wake up to that you know what i mean that looks pleasing to the eye. Everybody's experiences have been different. For me, when I grew when I grew up, I tried. I was in my my high school. Pretty much, it's fifty. I don't know what percentage black white, but I lived in a black neighborhood. So, at the end of the day, I attempted to date black girls when I was younger. I wasn't as handsome as I am now. I didn't oh. have this beautiful smile as I had as yeah. I have now. As I have now. Yeah, puberty. Right. I was a late. I was a late bloomer. Yeah. 
And when I bloom, boy, did I bloom. What are your thoughts on that? Sure. Sure, Terrell. Sure, Terrell what? (laughs) I think a lot of people, I've heard this from a number of Black men before, um, particularly athletes when I was in college. I've heard this before about how Black women either treated them wrong and white people accepted them. And this even goes just outside of dating. (laughs) This just goes about just how they function in life. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I, to be very honest with you, I didn't know Terrell Owens just had a history of only dating white women. I thought that there have been a number of black women that he's been linked to as well. So I thought he kind of dated everybody. But when I hear some... um, you know, a black man say, well, let me give you the reason why I'm a date majority white. I think that's bullshit. I'm not fi- like, I'm not. Everybody's mistreated. You know, like other people. I'm use myself for an example, but then it's hard because I'm not with a black man. <laughs> no, what I was going to say was if hey. I, the reason that I'm not with a black man is not because black men treated me a certain way. It's just who I happen to fall in love with. I don't have a history of ma- dating majority outside of my race. So I think it's wrong to say, oh, these particular people treated me a certain way, so I don't—I shunned away from them, and I started dating these people who accepted me. I I mean, to his point, he acknowledged that it was a self-esteem issue and security issue and a little self-hate there. So (laughs) is it not? Is it not? Sorry. Okay. Is it Uh, not? I don't think you said anything about self-hate. I'm saying that it's a little self-hate there. It's a little self-hate. All right. First of all, Donnie, remember my vow? What's my vow? What is your vow? My vow was to never get involved in the gender wars. Remember that? Yeah. This isn't a gender war. This is the gender war. I just want to let everybody know I'm still opting out of the gender wars. I'm not in it. Leave me out of it. I will say this, though. I do think that when people say this, most of the time, it rings hollow for me. When anyone says it. When anyone says, hey... Because we've talked about this before. Imagine if I said that. But, like, women do say it sometimes. No, no, no. I said I. I me. know. Black women do say it sometimes. Sometimes they do yeah, say. Yeah, they do. Hey, it's time to give these white kings a try. It's time to, 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 they do. to do that. Okay, but watch where you're stepping. You're stepping in gender wars. You're, ste- you're, you're tiptoeing the line. No, no, no. But I wouldn't say the only reason why I'm not, not no gender wars. No gender wars. Okay, come back. This is what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I wouldn't say that that was self-hate. If they said that, and I would say that, I disagree. I would that you think it's self hate when they say that. Oh, go ahead. No, keep going. I wouldn't say Sorry. that that was self hate. I would say that if he's being vulnerable about the fact that he has some sort sort of trauma, then uh, maybe he had to go through a phase where he unlearned some things. But I think it's self hate when somebody says this is why black women aren't as good as white women. So I don't believe him. Oh, wow. I, I, I do believe that he was probably teased by, you know, black women or maybe didn't feel accepted, you know, like maybe tried to shoot a shot a couple of times and maybe was turned down. But I, I have a hard time believing that every time you did it with white women, that they were more accepting of you. And it sounds like he started dating white women in college when he was also succeeding on the football field, and then eventually in the NFL, when I either read or listened to the entire statement, it sounded like he pursued them when he was already on the up and up. Yeah. 
So I, I just think that it's such an excuse to say that because it's just so far from what I believe. It's one thing to say, I'm going to give, hey, you know, I've tried it this way. I'm not going to only date Black. I'm going to date outside of my race other people. I'm going to be all-inclusive. That's one thing. I don't think that is self-hate. Hey, I'm going to give this a try as well. I don't think that's self-hate. Mm. I, it's self-hate when you use it as a stat. Oh, well, first, it's not self-hate, but it is interesting when you use it as a stat when you say, these niggas ain't shit. So no, let me do that's this. different. I'm saying, like, hey, I've tried this. I'm only dated inside my race. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be open to dating people outside of my race. I don't think that that's self-hate. But when I think that you try to ex- couple it with an excuse, well, the reason that I dated majority white or I gravitated to white women is because black women always put me down. No, don't put that on us. No, you wanted to date white women. Don't say, oh, it's because black women never gave me a chance. I feel like you're putting the blame on black women rather than taking for the responsibility that you just wanted that white meat. I, I know, and we have to move on, but it's like the exact same thing. Gender it, wars! It, 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 gender, gender wars! wars. Back. It's, it, it's, it, it's, no, it's really the exact same thing. It's saying that all of these niggas that I've dated ain't shit. And so now that all of these niggas that I've dated ain't shit, if you want to go date white men, or you want to go date somebody else, just go date them. But if when you say Correct. when you say that you're dating them because all of these black guys I'm agreeing are shit, with you. Okay, cool. I don't think well, that no I'm saying I'm just saying if you wanna, if you decide to date outside of your race as well, then that's one just leave thing. Black people out of but stop excusing your, your behavior. You did it because that's what you wanted to do. Don't blame black women. And black women, don't blame black men. There you go. Don't blame black men for your reason for dating outside of race. Just say you want to try something new. Well, somebody's going to take the blame now for the death of Tupac Shakur. Crazy fucking news. Is it? Well, Rachel doesn't think so. On the other side, it's <laughs> break the big deal of the day. TVD. All right, we got Albert Hughes coming up later. We're going to ask him about this. He actually knew Tupac, but the big deal of the day right now is Dwayne Keefe D. Davis has long been known to investigators as one of the four suspects identified early in the investigation to Tupac's murder. Um, He's not the accused gunman, Mm -hmm. but he has been indicted Mm -mm -mm. in the 1996 drive-by shooting of Tupac Shakur in Nevada. You can be charged if you uh, include murder. You can charge with the crime, including murder, if you help someone commit the crime. Now, this guy, Dwayne Keefe D. Davis, uh, was or is a Southside Crip. And I don't know if people know the story of why Tupac, um, the alleged story of why Tupac was killed. Tell us. Okay. So there was an incident. I'm not going to go into the ins and outs of this, but there was an incident in the Lakewood Mall where a gentleman had his death row chain snatched. Now, the reason why he had this death row chain snatched is up for debate. Okay. Some people say that death row was moving so crazy during that time that um, there was a bounty for these death row chains. That if you got stole somebody de- stole somebody's death row chain, that somebody would pay you ten thousand dollars for it. A lot of people talk about who might have been behind the bounty or whatever, whatever. If you look, listen to the Keefe D interview, they'll talk about um, who that might have been. There was a hip hop war going on at the time. Uh, there were certain factions of hip hop that weren't getting along, and there were there were also gang politics that were in the middle of this as well, right? Mm-hmm. So it might have had to do with the chain. It might have had to do just with the fact that there were gang politics going on in L.A. There always are. Tupac was with Suge Knight. They, Suge Knight was a Piru. Ma Piru. It's a set of the Piru gang that is down there in South LA. Okay, now, Southside Crips, they're enemies. Chain was snatched. 
chain was snatched. Apparently, then in Las Vegas, they saw the gentleman who they thought snatched the chain in the Lakewood Mall. These are the bare bones of the story. There's much more to it than this. Some of these guys knew each other going back to like Pop Warner football. They see the guy. They beat the guy up. That gentleman's name was Orlando Anderson. Okay. Uh, They beat him up. That guy is apparently, he's no longer with us now. That guy is apparently with Keefe D. Um, nephew. It's Keefe D's nephew, but they're with each other in the same proximity to each other in a car later on when they see Tupac and Suge in a car. It, it, it now becomes a retaliation for what just happened in the, uh, the, the casino area of the MGM Grand where he was beat up. They see Tupac, they kill Tupac. Because they were looking for Tupac. They... They were like waiting, trying to find him. Some people say they were riding around, laying in wait. Some people say they happened to see Tupac Shakur. It depends on what you believe. I think he said that. He said that they were riding around looking for Tupac. Then they did cool. Um, Orlando Anderson is killed later on on some other shit that didn't have anything to do with this. It was something different. Uh, But then after this, you know, Suge gets shot in his head, all of this stuff. It's so heavily involved in politics that the case goes cold. Now, the cops know almost immediately exactly what happened. The streets talked. Everyone knew what was going on. But they really couldn't tie anybody to it directly enough to get an arrest until later on, Keefe D, who is now 60 years old, uh, started doing interviews and writing books. He wrote a book in 2019, a tell-all memoir called Compton Street Legend. And in that book, he talked about in depth that night where he was and what he saw happened. Donnie, give me a little audio. You no, know, uh, we coming up, uh, what's the name? What's that, Flamingo? Yeah, I think that's Flamingo. We was coming up Flamingo and uh, got to the light. We used to go uh, drink and smoke some weed. And he happened to be hanging out the window. He was hanging out the window like he was in a parade. Tupac. Yeah, he was. So what happens next? And we just came and shit. I ain't going to go into details like that. You know what I'm saying? You said that as you're driving up towards the towards the BMW with Suge driving and Tupac in the passenger seat. And you said that Tupac pulled out a gun. It looked like he was reaching, yeah. Yeah, it did. He okay. Was, yeah. Did you actually see a gun? No, shit. Once he got the reaching, I got the ducking. So someone from your car... That's what happened. Started shooting at Tupac and Shook. I'm not going to go into details on that one. Keep your streets on me. I ain't going to go into detail on that. Well, I'm going to go ahead and read from the book. Well, so the, let them buy the book then. Okay. Well, I'm just going to read the, this passage. Uh, the shit was on. Tupac made an erratic move and began to reach down beneath his seat. It was the first and only time in my life that I could relate to the police command. Keep your hands where, where I could see them. Instead... Pac pulled out a strap, and that's when the fireworks start, started. One of my guys from the backseat grabbed the Glock and started busting back. The first shot skinned Suge in the head, and I thought that motherfucker was dead. I had heard some stories, supposedly that Tupac, that Suge used Tupac as a shield when the bulls started flying, but that's some bullshit. Suge was already wounded, and he was the one that got touched. As the rounds continued flying, I ducked down so I wouldn't get hit. Basically. Now, the voice that you hear on the other side of that interview is is Vlad from Vlad TV, the interview that kind of got all of this kicked off uh, after 
the release of the book was an interview that he did with Vlad TV. And the police have said there in Las Vegas that different interviews and um, appearances that Keefe D has done Mm -hmm. have renewed interest in the case. Look, he pretty much is pretty much admits to being in the car. Um, I guess the question is, when you listen to what the police had to say about this, they're calling him the shot caller and the orchestrator of this entire murder. Yeah. Um, they put a first-degree murder charge on him. Right. They're saying that he provided the gun. I guess these are things that they'll have to prove or get him to cop to. But, fuck, I don't know. Like, I should say before we stop talking about it, in 2009, KVD was uh, in trouble on the drug beef. And when he was in trouble on this drug beef, I mean, he told the police then, I guess, in a proffer agreement or something, that Orlando Anderson had shot Tupac. Orlando Anderson is dead, but he has long been rumored to be the gunman that actually killed Tupac, or actually fired the shots. And so a lot of the information isn't new, but it just seems the fact that it's been being talked about right. so openly and publicly is why KPD has been arrested. Well, and but that's that's I guess where my confusion lies. He wrote this book in 2019, we're talking four years ago, where he detailed, you know, I know that he's talked about it before, but he has some sort of immunity for that day. So, but th- in this book, he writes about it. Then earlier this year, was it this year? Maybe it was, I don't know, for when did when was he on Vlad? He was on Vlad like four years ago. Four years ago. Like four, so he, like four years ago. I think so it was he, 2019 when he. I mean, it was around the release of the book. So he writes the book. Then he doubles down talking about it. And Vlad even asked him, are you worried about, you know, charges coming out with all the, the details that you've given being related to this specific crime and him being the only one who's alive that was in that car. Four people in the car. He's the only one that's still alive. And he kind of was like, I mean, I've been to prison before. What's prison again? A couple of things. Number one, Heard some stuff around this uh, that at the time he had cancer and maybe thought that he wasn't going to have too much longer to live. Interesting. And apparently now he's doing better. So this could be a situation to where he was maybe talking because of situations that he had going on and now these situations don't exist. And I, But I think the question that a lot of people have, and I know that I definitely have, is why did we sit? He was outright detailing it. He wrote it. And then he also doubled down saying it four years ago. What has happened that made you say now we're going to, especially if this is true about in Nevada, Nevada, however you say it, you can be charged with a crime, including murder, if you help someone commit that crime. If he's been detailing this for years, then there was enough evidence, it seems like, from coming out of his own mouth or that he wrote that tied him to this crime, showing that he was involved in some way and could be, you know, charged with it under the the laws in Nevada. So I don't understand why in 2023 this is just now happening. I don't know either, but I will That's say this. That's the confusing thing. He hasn't, the, the Vlad interview is probably the gold standard interview that he's done that people always refer to, but he's done interviews a lot of different places talking about this. He's gone a lot of different places talking about this. Um... Some of these interviews are paid interviews. So this might have been an income stream for him while he was, you know, still out. Or dealing with medical issues. Or dealing with medical issues. So this might be a situation where this guy was doing interviews on this stuff because he actually needed 
to pay for treatment. Mm-hmm. And talking about that was the way to do that. Okay. Um, this is all speculation by us here on Higher Learning, but I'm trying to figure out why someone would put themselves in jail for murder. Uh, there's also an element of this that's pervasive in a really specific way with people going on the internet and talking about crimes they've committed. Mm-hmm. It's almost now uh, its own subculture about wanting people to know things that are just insanely detrimental to your life. And this is an OG, somebody who was yeah. really important in this hood yeah. um, there that was that is doing this. So because of this, you know, because of what's going on and the way people are kind of getting clout for themselves and getting attention for themselves, he might have even fallen in, either fallen into that or he might have just needed the money. A couple of things about this as well. Number one, if you watch the whole Vlad interview, I think that Keefe D does have a defense here. And that is? That he lies in the book or said that he lied in the book. So if you watch the entire Vlad interview, that's rich. I'm just, listen, if you watch the entire Vlad interview, there are things that Vlad asks him about in the interview, and he says that didn't happen. I just put that in there in the book. For, for example, Vlad asked Keefe D about the fact that supposedly Big Meech was in a car with him at some point when they were doing what they were doing. And he said, ah, oh, that wasn't true. It was another guy from Detroit. Oh, it's just a typo. Then Vlad also asked Keefe D about the fact that he says that after they shot um, and mortally wounded Tupac that they went to the hotel right. and then they poured out some liquor for Tupac. And Keefe D says, we poured some liquor in our throats. I didn't pour out no liquor for him. And then Vlad goes, it's in the book. And then he goes, well, you know, sometimes you just put stuff in the book to make it more exciting or make it whatever, whatever. But details, specific details about the actual shooting, about the, did he say he lied about that? Maybe not. But if the basis of this prosecution, which I would have to believe that they probably are going to use more. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked to Albert Hughes about this a little bit later, and he had a very good theory on it. I'll let him say it, but that that this was that the interviews were the reasons why they opened up an investigation. And in an investigation, I'm sure they feel like they have enough to tie him to it. They know who was in the car. They know who shot who. They know all of that. If anything, this is more of an answer to a public question, which is probably how in the world could somebody be talking about this crime with this beloved cultural figure and then like just nothing happens? They're probably answering that question with this arrest more than anything else. See, I think that it highlights a bigger issue with the police department, even with them making this arrest in 2023. You know, again, you referenced the Albert Hughes interview that we have uh, coming on later in this podcast, but he talks about it. He said everybody knew. And if the streets were talking about it and everybody knew in the circles, there's no way that stuff wasn't coming to the police. There was some sort of an investigation. There's no way that the police did not know that Keefe D was not on their radar or the other individuals in the car. They knew. So then it brings up this question of, here you are in 2023, now taking action. If you knew certain information before, maybe you of course, he hadn't come out with his memoir yet. But if you knew information, what was stopping you from pursuing it even further? It seems like you just gave up on this case or it was a, it was not of interest to you anymore and you just moved on. That, to me, is being highlighted even more so with an arrest now in 2023 because what's coming, what's coming out with the news of this arrest is that it seems like they always knew. So there have been 
there's been a lot of stuff done on the death of Tupac in particular. And mm-hmm. I just want people to know that there's a whole ball of wax here that could potentially be opened up. There are other people who are not dead that could potentially be implicated in this. There's a whole ecosystem around these two murders when you talk about Pac and, and Big. Big yeah. They're not necessarily connected, but they're not not connected. Right, right. If, if you know everything that's going on. So, I mean, there's still more people who could be exposed legally with this or just with their reputations with KPD and depending on what it is that he wants to do. I'll say this. Being able to talk to people that know what was going on is one thing. Getting people to cooperate with the police investigation is another. True, true. So, KPD, when asked years and years ago, probably didn't tell the police the information that he's telling people now or that he told them in 2009. And with the amount of bodies that were dropped after this as well, because there was a little, he talks about it in the interview, there was a a little mini war, mm-hmm. as many as a gang war can be, between the Ma Paru and the Southsiders. Not the Southsiders, I don't want to get the gangs confused, but the, but the, the, the Crips that they were warring against after this because of all of this stuff that was going on. So it got a little hot, right? Mm-hmm. Because of all of this stuff, there were probably people who weren't willing to cooperate with the police. And that's a, sure, when we talk point. about questions, I think those are the questions. The questions are, with the, there are a lot of people out there who are happy that there was an arrest made here. Mm-hmm. I'm agnostic about it. Interesting. Why? Because I don't think that it really makes much of a difference. I'm not a family member or a loved one to Tupac Shakur. Right. So it's different. It is. I don't think that it makes that much difference right now that this guy is going to go to jail if he does go to jail for the last remaining 15 or 20 years of his life. Right. Um, I think the overall thing that is sad here uh, is that Tupac Shakur, one of the most important voices, a flawed human being for sure, but one of the most important cultural um, and really in ways political voices was killed because somebody got their chain snatched in the Lakewood Mall. We have thought so many things about the death of Tupac. Mm-hmm. We have thought it was a government assassination. We have thought it was because of this deep, deep rift. We've thought it was so important and so unbelievably big. The CIA took him out. The FBI took him out. All of this stuff. He got killed over some bullshit. Yeah. And if there's a lesson from all of this, the lesson is, you know, how we are going to sort of talk about some of the issues and conflict resolution opportunities we have between us. Like, the chain didn't have to get snatched. Then Pac didn't have to get retaliatory over the chain getting snatched. None of this stuff had to happen. This is all mentality and mindset. And we are responsible for how we deal with one another. Mm -hmm. And we're responsible for how for the standards that we set in dealing with one another. We're not responsible for the conditions that we came into this situation with, and we're not responsible for the survival matrix that we're in. But it's okay to look at one another and be like, yo, this is a lesson that we can can, um, learn from a situation like this. When I think about that, 
that's the thing that I think that's super sad about all of this is somebody who meant so much to me, somebody who made me ask such fundamental questions about my world. This dude was 25, man. That's, I always forget how young he was. This dude was 25, like over the same type of shit, wasn't able to escape any of it, the same thing. Mm. Now you have a 60-year-old man that's, for whatever reason, talking about this. And if it brings closure to people in Pac's family, I can understand that. I, right. like, I, I, I could get that. But Especially it, if they always knew who... Imagine, if you've always known who was responsible. Yeah. And then they finally... Yeah, that's going to do a little something. Well, I'll say, I'll say even about that. Okay, well then, if that's the situation, then we have to talk about whether or not this hood omerta of not snitching or not talking to people or keeping our mouth shut, if that serves us as well. Sure. However, you can't have a conversation about that without having a conversation about the obvious distrust and skepticism that we have regarding law enforcement. And that distrust and skepticism has to do with the fact that the concerns that the community has about law enforcement are very, very real. So it's just this big, huge glob of dysfunction. There are mentalities. There's systemic loss. There's the fact that the police aren't good enough at their jobs for us to trust that they mean us safety, right? Mm-hmm. All of this stuff. We're talking about what, what's closure for people, what matters, and the fact that Tupac is dead and we'll never be able to have him back. And Orlando Anderson is dead. And the other two guys in the car are mm-hmm. dead. Everybody is 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 falling into the same trap. And now at 60, the one person who would have survived it, who would have gone on and just lived a life, it looks like he is about to be involved in the carceral system some more. He's mm-hmm. been in jail before as well. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a virus. Yeah. LaFonza Butler named to Diane Feinstein's Senate seat, former advisor to Vice President Harris. Uh, Feinstein died age 90 on Friday. Longest-serving female uh, senator in history. She was elected in 1992 after a political career in San Francisco. Um, Newsom had Gavin Newsom had always said, or I've been saying recently, that he was going to appoint a black woman to this position. Um, but she is the first black lesbian to openly serve as a U.S. senator. Hmm. She's the first openly black lesbian. That's what it says. I'm interested in this sentence. The first black lesbian to openly serve. Shouldn't that be... the openly part that's getting you? Shouldn't it be... She's an open lesbian, not an open senator, right? What? So think about it. Donnie, jump in here. So it says... We gotta move on. (laughs) She would make history as the first black lesbian to openly serve. Mm Mm-hmm. You... Can you serve in the closet? I guess you can be closeted and serve. That's what I think that they're referring to. So you're openly serving as in... No, I think the way I read this sentence is there might have been other black lesbians, but yes, but they did not, they were closeted. I would say, and I'm not Webster's Dictionary, I would say that she's an open lesbian and not an open senator, though. So shouldn't be shouldn't she be an open lesbian? I just am not thinking. I don't, I'm not thinking about it that deeply. You don't fucking care. <laughs> this is the type of stuff I get into. Donnie, shouldn't it, 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 am I am I tripping here? She's openly serving, 
but right. she's, she's serving openly as well. I think he could switch it. He could go back and forth. But she's, as a senator, she's openly and she's serving. She's openly a lesbian and she's serving. She's a lesbian. And right. she's open yeah. about it. And she's serving. There's never been anybody that's been in the closet as a senator that I know that's like, I don't want to come out to my delegates or my constituents and say that I'm actually a senator, that you're in the closet as a senator. So I would think that it would be different. Okay. <laughs> I take that as a victory. Um, uh, I'm not going to do that. I don't disagree um, with you. That's uh, great. That's great. He honored that. He said he was going to do it. He honored it. Congratulations to her. wonder if she will run when um, her time is up. I she would have to. You think so? Yeah. Why, why, why wouldn't you? I, I mean, yeah. Maybe she will. Maybe she won't. I don't know. It's, impo- it's, it's She hasn't run before. She hasn't run for the... Well, I guess she couldn't. She could have. It's important. It's important to keep the numbers there in the Senate, right? Of course. Um, but it's important also that if she does decide to run that the machine get behind her and make sure that sure. She's, she gets what she needs up there. I, I, I will say this. Uh, we're going to do a robust investigation in the age of these people. We keep talking about it, but we won't talk I know, about but it. What, yeah, but what's the... What is it? They're old. What... If you had to do a test, right? Very similar to driving, right? When you when you lose, I guess, certain things, as you certain things start to deteriorate when you get older, you need to be taking a driving test. I don't know what the rules are in California, to make sure that you're still able to drive in a effective way. When it comes to sitting for office, do you think that there should be something like that implemented? I think that these people should put, they've served their country very dedicatedly, valiantly, whatever, for a long time. They've served their country well for a long time. I think they get to a point when we're talking about people who are in their mid to late 80s and early 90s that it stops being about their country and it starts being about them. These things have very systemic and real consequences. You have people that are uh, chairs of committees. You have people that have all types of different jobs in the various branches of government that they are taking up oxygen in. And there needs to be, number one, for both procedural issues and just for cultural and political issues, there needs to be a time where they get the fuck out of office. I agree with you. And, and, so, and, and so because of that, like now there's all kinds of stuff that's up in the air, right? And also... This fucking time marches on, nigga. How do you measure it, though? This was clear. Clear as day, right? She was 90. She looked like a zombie. Like, she looked like she was barely making it. You know, like, you could clearly tell her health was declining. It looked like people were doing things for her rather than her doing them for themselves. But where, how would you measure that when it came, when it comes to these politicians? That would, that's more my question. How do you do that effectively? I don't know. And it's and I agree with you. I right. just don't know how, because you can't depend on them to say to check themselves. We've seen it time and time again. They won't. Can't depend on them to to check themselves. But we do need to do something where we stop making politicians institutions. Sure. We need to be responsible for the way that we discuss politicians and the way that we talk about them. Uh, like no fucking politician is on your team and you're not on their team. So there should be no hives. There should be no 
uncle and aunts that you're calling nothing. They're not heroes. They're not anything. They are. See, it makes it makes it more difficult when there's thought of lovingly in these ways or when there's this affection towards politicians. It makes it more difficult to look at them in a critical or real world way. You stop talking about a senator and you start talking about this person's name who did this thing in 1997. That's what I was about to say. You talk about the history of them, not what they've done today, you should, recently. You should treat these people like these franchises treat athletes. Hey, oh. you've been around for a long time. We get it. At a certain point, your jumper isn't what it used to be. And not only that, not only that, but there's somebody behind you that's not going to get the opportunity to give their version of the world to everyone as long as you are there. And sometimes, don't matter if it's Alex Rodriguez or Tom Brady, Kobe could have played till he was 70 and I would have loved it. But, but it, it, it's all of these people. At some point, man, the game is over. Yeah, you're right. And so when I look at all of this stuff, we, we need to start, we need to have a more sanitized view of our politics and our politicians because it gets to be so hard. It gets to be so difficult to have a conversation about this without people saying, oh, you're being ageist. Or, oh, you're looking at it this way. Right now, with both Trump and Biden, Trump was up there slurring his words a couple of days ago. You know, these people are old. Well, it seems like in every other industry, you're able to say, hey, you're not you're not doing your job effectively anymore. It's time for, you know, like they're let, they are let go for whatever reason. I mean, reasons surrounding that. But when it comes to politics, that's just not the case. And you're right. We're the ones who elect them. So some people would say that Gavin Newsom had a win some, lose some week uh, because while he did something that's important symbolically to a lot of people, he also did something that's structurally evil to a lot of people. He vetoed a bill that would allow striking workers to get unemployment checks. Now, guys, this is the summer of the work stoppage. It's a worker summer. We're going to have on Thursday a big conversation about the United Auto Workers strike. We're going to talk about that. Um... The WGA strike has come to an end. SAG is still striking. Yeah, they're meeting some, today. They're, they're doing what? Meeting today. Are you excited about it? Well, I'm excited for everyone who's on strike. Yes, this could mean... You're that. on strike. No, I'm not. I'm under the broadcasting of SAG. Oh, so you're not. You're mm-hmm. not on strike. Mm-mm. But I can't promote... If I had a new TV or movie, I couldn't promote you couldn't it. promote it. If you had a new Lifetime joint coming out. Uh, Gavin Newsom vetoed a bill that would have allowed auto workers on strike to become eligible for unemployment insurance benefits. That's kind of a big deal, right? It's a gigantic deal. If you get unemployment while you're out there, I would think that that puts more pressure on the people that you're striking against, the entities that you're striking against. Absolutely. You are still getting money while you're on strike. And for somebody that is is as pro-worker as Gavin Gavin Newsom has said that he is, you would think that that would be something that he would do. Gavin Newsom said that California has too much unemployment debt. said that the state is not collecting enough in taxes to fund this uh, idea mm-hmm. and that it could be insolvent. He said the fund is supported through a, through a tax that businesses must pay on each work, but the tax applies to just the, on the first $7,000 of workers' wages, which is the lowest amount under federal law, the Associated Press reported. 
financial structure has remained unchanged since 1984. So maybe we need to take a look at that. So any expansion of eligibility for UI benefits could increase California's outstanding federal UI debt projected to be nearly $20 billion at the end of the year and could jeopardize California's benefit cost ratio add-on waiver application, significantly increasing taxes on employers. Furthermore, the state is responsible for the interest payments on the federal UI loan and to date has paid $362 million in interest with another $302 million due this month. Now is not the time to increase our costs to incur uh, this sizable debt. Um, Democratic State Senate, Senator Tony Portatino, who I would <laughs> love to have on Higher Learning to talk about this, authored this bill and noted to the AP that only two of the 56 strikes in California over the past decade have lasted more than two weeks. So what he is saying is that, obviously, what happened with the WGA and some other places is it's uncommon. Rare. It's rare. Mm-hmm. And that we could probably afford to do this. Gavin Newsom, Mr. Pro-Workers, who I've seen him everywhere talking about how pro-worker he is, vetoed this mm-hmm. in the same week that he appointed a black gay lady to the Senate, which is very, very awesome. This is what I'm talking about sometimes when I'm talking about symbols versus actual structural governing. Now, I'm not saying that, that she's just going to be a symbol because she'll have the opportunity um, in the Senate to govern. But what I am saying is if, and I've been very complimentary of Gavin Newsom you on this have, podcast. You have, you okay? have. What I am saying, when you're talking about making tough decisions in the interest of people or in the interest of workers, there is absolutely no way to me that you could be pro-worker and not work with the people who authored this bill in order to figure out what is possible on it. Mm-hmm. If you veto this, then you're making it harder for people to go on strike in California. And that's just the bottom line. The governor actually tells people what he cares about um, with the stroke of his veto pen. And vetoing this uh, was a big, huge deal. I made its way all the way to his desk for Gavin Newsom. And it does, to me, take a chunk out of his ass in terms of what my perception of him is and what the perception of him is probably for a lot of people who claim to be pro-worker. Mm. Well, would it change your mind that he also raised minimum wage? So it was, in this week as well, it was currently, it's at, it was at fifteen fifty, one of the highest, if not the highest, I believe, in the United States. And he raised it to $20 an hour, which benefits half a million workers. Yeah. So it, doesn't change my mind. Is that mind. a symbol too? It's not a symbol. That's actually, I'm not saying that he is Ron DeSantis. I'm just giving, I'm just throwing that out there. Does right. it, if it changes your opinion. It doesn't. Okay. I'm of the belief, I'm of the understanding that you probably can't have everything. But it still is important what you have and, and particularly when you can have it in terms of the decisions that you make. I'm not saying that Gavin Newsom is bad for California or that his politics are bad for the world. What I'm saying is right now in this particular place that we're in in America, uh, to not figure something out, figure something out here is telling to me. There are some people that believe that Gavin Newsom sided, sided with industry here, that he sided with gigantic employers. Well, he kind of did. Well, 
Well, it seems obvious that he did. Yeah. Gigantic employers in California, be it the studios or be it fucking Apple or be it whomever that is, uh, whomever might be vulnerable to a worse stoppage that he sided with them. Mm -hmm. That is just, no matter what else that he's done in the weeks leading up or in the weeks following this, that is at cross purposes with who he says that he is. Yeah, I mean, there is an argument that, and I'm by no means, I think he should have sided with, you know, the labor unions here. I think the message shows that because if he had sided with the labor unions, it would have provided them more leverage in their negotiations, which would have put more pressure on the employers to actually get something done with these unions. Um, it's interesting because labor unions back um, these demo- these Democrat politicians rely on labor unions to back them in these elections. So it's kind of interesting that he did this bill to ve- veto this bill that is against labor unions. But at the end of the day, Gavin Newsom is a businessman as well. And this, by him vetoing it, it does show that he favors businesses and employers over these labor unions at the end of the day. And maybe there might be a personal attachment to that as well, seeing that he is a businessman. I will say... And this isn't in defense of Gavin Newsom, but the legislation was introduced at the last minute. They're ending the California legislative session. They're in the home stretch of it. And this seemed to be a bill that was kind of rushed through at the last minute. And he might have vetoed it because there wasn't enough time, I don't know, to fully see it through. Maybe he vetoed it because particularly there were some issues with it and maybe he does want to work it out. If that is the case, he should have said it. I don't even know if there's enough time to it because I know the legislation is about the le- legislative session is about to end. Who knows? But by vetoing it, I think the message is clear. He favors one over the other. There have been 53 labor strikes in California this year. Mm-hmm. 53. That's 276,340 participants. 10% of total union membership in the state has gone on strike this year. It's a shit ton of people. Yeah. A shit ton of people with a shit ton of issues, with a shit ton of individual problems and collective problems, much different than the strikes that you that make the front page news, much different than some of the people that are represented, uh, some of the unions, shall I say, that are represented by some of the people who are beautiful and that we love. These are average working Americans who are collectively bargaining to try to have a better life with country with companies that are. Um, it's infinitely more powerful than they are and mm-hmm. have more money. So you're affecting their lives. Sure. Um, you're definitely affecting their lives. So, you know, uh, it's a thing. Look, it, it, it's a ding. Uh, I would love to have Anthony Portatino on to discuss this because I need to know if this is dead for good. Right. Or if it can be resurrected in some other form or if there's any truth to what... Um, Governor Newsom is saying about the possibility of doing this. Um, there's all there's never enough money for for anything until there's enough money for it. All right. uh, by the way, uh, we might be back in on RFK in terms no, of an interview. Don't say we. <laughs> <laughs> don't say we. Uh, he's announced, he's teased that he could run third party. It's getting dicey out there. Yeah. Um, he teased a major announcement in the upcoming weeks amid speculation that he might run against Joe Biden. Interesting. Now we get to the point to where, no, we're getting into the crazy days. Yeah. I mean, what he's doing isn't working. So let's pivot. And it sounds like that's what he's going to do. The question is, what will he run as? Will it be libertarian? Will it be 
Green Independent? Party. Independent Green It won't party. be Green Party. It's not going to be Green? I don't think it'll be Green. Oh, because that's Libertarian. They got he's actually there. taking meetings Cornel with West the, is Green. Yeah, he's actually taking meetings with Libertarians. There so. you go. He feels like there's a path to, vic- a path to victory. He's got an uh, event in, um, in Philadelphia, October 9th, and he's going to run. So we'll see what's going to oh, happen right oh, there. Oh, we'll talk about it then. All right. It's a clip from Jay Z that's getting everybody talking. Donnie, play the clip. You know what I mean? Like you, you know, you'll have people that where you come from, if you behave in a certain manner, that ain't, it's not accustomed to where they are, right? Some people haven't evolved past 16. They still stuck in that place. But you evolving every year. Mm-hmm. So that may be a threat to them, subconsciously or consciously. Nick kept acting funny because blah, blah, blah. You have to navigate that. Mm-hmm. You have cousins. You got to go home for Thanksgiving and people are talking to you like Kevin Hart. And you going home for solace. You want family. You're going home for peace of mind. You're going home for peace of mind. And they don't give you that your because you're not, is, you're not. Your cousins that. in your grandma's living room saying, yo, man, I got this, uh, I got this play. I want to, if you just give me, you know what I mean? <laughs> 4,800, I could make you 2 million. You're yeah. like, it don't work like yeah. that, man. You got to explain to him, like, life isn't like that. Money isn't free and no one's given our opportunities. If it sounds too good to be true, it's really, and then he like, oh, you don't believe in my dreams. You yep. hate you hate Jay Z. What? <laughs> you can't stand Jay Z. Why? Why are you saying that? Ever since his collaboration with the NFL, I don't hate Jay Z at all. You're anti. You're anti Jay Z. It's okay. You know what I love this. You're you know anti. I love this? You know I love this. You are. I love this because this is right out of the Van textbook. You're holding. You've been holding a grudge against him since he collaborated. You've been everything that he's done. You feel has been anti-Kaepernick, and you don't like Jay Z. And any opportunity you get, a resurfaced clip, my favorite, a resurfaced clip from 2022 with Jay Z talking about you. You you have issues with this, Hold on for a and you have issues Hold on for with Jay Z. One for a second. So. You're saying that I invented this issue. No, out no, of no. I'm saying when you saw it, you grabbed at the chance I didn't, to talk about Jay Z. This is, this is where Rachel, you gotta be, you gotta be dialed in. You gotta be dialed in. Donnie, was everybody not talking about this on Twitter? This was a big yeah. deal. Oh, I this did kind of blow back up. No, yeah. no, no. Go ahead, Rachel. But no, no, I will admit, I am not, I'm not on when things go viral like that. I'm not on Twitter or X. But my point is, it wasn't the only thing that went viral this week, but you saw an opportunity. That's not true. To diss Jay-Z. And you brought last minute, last last hour into the podcast. I'm driving, trying to focus on the topics we're talking about. And oh, let's, we got to talk about Jay-Z. Hold on, wait, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Let me tell you how easily I can disprove this. I'm just playing. I know, but because people will take this shit and run with it. Number one, we just talked about T.O. as well. Yeah, 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 you threw that in there. And also what I saw in terms of cultural stuff, we had the black guys in the suits on there as well. Dallas, Texas. This is a Dallas, Texas. This is all stuff that I saw. Look, I, I'm just talking about what the people are talking about, okay? That's what I'm talking okay, about. Okay, so how do you feel about this resurfaced clip? How do you feel about <laughs> it? <laughs> okay. This is how I feel. Um, I think it's an interesting conversation for myriad reasons. I think it's one that we don't have enough in Black America because we talk about every single wealth gap in Black America except for the Black American mm. wealth gap. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, we talk 
about the wealth gap between us and white people. We talk about the wealth gap between poor people and uh, rich people overall. But we don't talk about the wealth inequality that exists in black America between poor black people and rich black people, which is as bad or worse than the wealth gap that exists, the income inequality that exists here in America. There's a huge sure. wealth gap. Sure. Right? Um, and I think I understand why Jay-Z would say what he's saying, mm-hmm. but it does show to me a breathtaking lack of cultural and community perspective. Okay. One of the things that I've started to understand and learn as being somebody that has a little bit of means is that something that they don't talk about being that person when you are black um, or when you are not necessarily black, but when you come from a poor black background or a background with people that don't have as much is that that is a different type of stress. It's a different type of stress to be the way that somebody is going to get this bill paid, right? You have all of these things in your life that you want to do, that you want to accomplish, and you meticulously budget out things. This is what I'm going to do here. This is what I'm going to do here. I want to own this. I want to have this. I work enough to be able to have this. I don't spend as much time. I travel across the country. I do this. I fly into a place, turn around, do something, fly back out, then come here and do all of this. And you're doing all of this. You're spending so much energy. You're having less peace than you would want. I don't have any children. I haven't started a family. There are sacrifices that I've made to be able to put the work in, to be able to get to a certain point. And then you're trying to do all of this. And then somebody just goes, I need Mm $4,000. I need $5,000. I need this. I got to have it. If I don't have it, everything goes bad. Like I got to have it. Yeah. And then you got to give it to them, right? You you have to. That's a part of what it means. So I get that. I do understand that. And it is... It's frustrating. It's a different type, different type of stress. And you also know that those people who you have been poor with, particularly the people that you have been poor with, the people that you have struggled with, you have to be there for them. You have to. Um, having said that, though, understanding that stress, and I wouldn't even understand it to the degree that Jay-Z had, because remember, this is somebody that's worth $2.5 billion. There is something that to me is irresponsible about having as much money as he does and talking about people who need money. Mm. There is something that's, it's, it's, uh, it, it, particularly, from the standpoint of someone who sells culture. I'll tell you what I mean by that. So I have Duce. I I drink Duce, right? Okay. I have Tidal. I drink Ciroc. Okay. They come out and they say, hey, we're up against these gigantic, big, huge entities. Mm -hmm. We're trying to make it so you can drink black liquor. We're trying to make it so you can stream black. We're trying to make it so you can wear your clothes black. Mm-hmm. And if you support black people that are trying to make headway into these spaces, then you'll support us. We are black. We are you. 
So because we are you, we show up in these rooms where you're not in them, but you can still be in them if you drink what we say drink, if you wear what we say wear, if you use the products that we say. That is your way of saying, hey, Apple Music or fucking Spotify or whomever, mm-hmm. that we don't have to use your stuff because there's a black person somewhere that's doing it that's an upstart. And then I do it. Okay. And I I, I do it. I say, hey, okay. Hennessy was literally put in my bottle, but I'll drink to do say. Okay. Uh, I'm listening to different streaming service. I'll listen to Tidal. I still listen to Tidal. I cannot not, li- I tried to start listening to Apple Music, but Tidal knows me too well. <laughs> like I get on Tidal and Tidal will be like, yo, Van, you want to listen to BG today, don't you? I know. <laughs> Here's your list for the day, Van. Tidal knows me. I've been fucking with Tidal for a long time. Mm-hmm. But Tidal went from being a black girl who knows me to a white girl who knows me. <laughs> Jay-Z so, so, like, sold the company, right? After we were doing it for that reason. To hear that, to hear the culture being like sold to me or to hear somebody ask me to do certain things for cultural reasons and then also to hear about the group of people who are then also in your family who like are doing it wrong or need to do better, it's uncomfortable for me. Okay. It's, it's, um, it's weird, right? Uh, I don't feel like your cousin who needs $4,800. Um, I think there could be more to the story. I think it's, it's inappropriate for someone particularly who asks black people to do things that enrich them because they are black to then come back and have and not have the understanding of this. At Jay-Z had, a, had an event, a couple of, um, a Rock Nation, should I say, had an event a couple of, a couple of nights ago. It was that, that big yeah, deal that they had, the BIP. Right? Thing, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like whole deal. It's $50,000 to go there and the money's going to go to the Reform Alliance. Well, no Each one, person who went paid $50,000. Yeah, it was like $50,000 to get in that bitch. Jeez. And so, I'm not saying everybody had to pay it, but I'm saying, well, you know, you have to pay $50,000 to get in that bitch. But, and also, these are people who do things for their community. That money's going to go to something that's going to, that's dealing with prison reform. So, it's really about that. It's a fundraiser. So, that's mm-hmm. why the $50,000 is coming in. Wallow gets on the stage, he's talking to Kevin Hart, and Wallow's talking to the millionaires and the, frankly, the billionaires in that room, and he's talking to them about the fact that you need to reach back and make sure that you're connecting with people in these communities that need your help, mm-hmm. right? And there's silence in the room. Somebody on Twitter brought up the fact that maybe they weren't going crazy before that. But to me, it didn't seem like there was much of a reaction to what he was saying. Yeah. Because he was, uh, shout out to Gillian Wallow, because he was challenging people to be um, more available from a fiscal standpoint to people in these communities. Look, there's a lot being said right now by me. But what I'm saying is there's a gulf between black people who have it and black people who don't. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if you are a black person that has it, there might be a tendency to be frustrated by either life decisions mm-hmm. or other aspects of people who haven't been able to go and get it. I know because I've been there on a much, much less level, but we cannot be black when it makes us money sure and they then be capitalistic achievers when it's inconvenient to us it you got to be black for something more than profit and 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 i mean this with all the best love every single person that we're talking about in this situation they do a tremendous amount for their community 
but nothing that they can do for their community. No amount of philanthropy, no amount of philanthropy could ever, ever begin to address the systemic need for reform in America's economic system. Um, and uh, no amount of philanthropy could ever address systemic issues in these communities. You have to avoid the pitfall of becoming rich and not staying black. And that's hard to do. Yeah. I agree with everything that you said, and I'm not going to add much to it. The only thing I will say is, in particular to this clip, the example that Jay-Z gave was someone wanting to start a business. Okay. Right? So I'm, I want to know if Jay-Z had told the story in a different way. If he had said, um, listen, I'm home for the holidays. I don't really want to talk business right now. But if you come to me, you know, like set up a meeting. Here's this. Come to me. Present it to me. Um, and like where I'm in a place where I can hear you and understand you to talk about this opportunity, would it have changed your mind? No. And I'll tell you why. It's because the fact that the person claims to have wanted to start a business, to me, makes it honestly a little bit more fucked up. So he had to talk about it right then and there. Didn't have to talk about it right then and there. But one thing that he certainly didn't have to do, certainly didn't have to do, is go on Kevin Hart's thing and talk about it. That's what I'm saying. If he had said, well, what I told him was right now, like, I'm just trying to enjoy no, the no, families no, 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 no. the holidays. What I'm talking about is it's being used as an example of how to not get ahead. And is it? Or is absolutely. it Absolutely. Or is it being used? And I'm not here. I'm just, I'm playing devil's advocate yeah. here. Or is it being used to show, like, every time I come home, people want to get something from me and I just want to relax? Is it that deep? I mean, to be honest with you, like, <laughs> I just— Because I feel like that's in a Kanye song, too, or something Kanye said about that as well. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> okay, it, it, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm yeah. just saying, is it that, was it meant to be that deep? Yeah. So, once again, I get the frustration. Mm -hmm. And I have— fucking been there and I have tweeted angrily about it and I've it's, it's I got the family too I yeah, get it I, like, I, I have fucking been there but what I'm saying is that like if somebody is perpetually broke over time over time over time over time over time and, and they feel like you are the outlet all the time I can see that there's not, there's not really that many American, quote-unquote, success stories. Like, a lot of them that you're talking about, I saw somebody bring this up on Twitter, started with loans from family and friend. Mm -hmm. Amazon. Like, all of these people, yeah. they start off loans from families and friends. Hey, I got this. Now, I'm not saying that, that Jay-Z's cousin has an Amazon type idea, but you never know, right? Um, I'm just saying, like, there is something grotesque to me about coming back and having this type of dialogue about the black people that made you so rich, that exalt you, that put you on this throne, it's... You felt like he was making light of it. Almost like... This is what I feel like. And let me tell you what I know. Like, celebrity is a race. We don't think that it is, but it is. Celebrity is its own race. Okay. There's black, and then there's being famous in black. Celebrity is a race, right? 
racial and cultural constructs exist because of commonalities, of things that we all do together. Our skin in America denotes an experience, oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes that we can kind of relate to. We can kind of relate to being from a certain place, going through a certain thing, and we know that there's a history that links us. Food, dance, whatever, right? Celebrity is that same thing. And and wealth is that same thing. People who are rich and famous rally around each other. They rally around each other because what kills one person that's rich and famous kills another person that's rich and famous. So if you're looking at something that a rich and famous person has done, the reason why they are normally so uh, forgiving of one another is because the moment that they're not, they're the next person on the chopping block to have that happen. Well, black people or, or, or people that are, you know, trying to live their lives, you know, they don't have those same protections. You know, they'll sometimes be more protective of rich and famous people than rich and famous people are protective of themselves. And when I say it's its own race, I mean, you can get to a point to where you stop understanding what someone might have gone through because you were able to beat it. And you start saying, well, if I could do it, you could do it. When we had Larry Elder on here, we asked Larry Elder, we said, hey, if black people never catch up with white people, are you cool with that or something to that degree? He goes, oh, actually, you asked him, so black people will never catch up to white people. He says, no. He says, no, probably not. But individuals can. I think sometimes from the luminaries that exist out there, they have that same thought inside of their head. They think, I'm the illest. I was born the tallest. I can jump the highest. I can sing the best. I can rap the best. I can act the best. I'm the prettiest. I'm all of these things. I am different than these other niggas. I did it differently. I am different. I am better. I did stuff that they can't or won't do. And that gets solidified the longer you are away from them. The longer you, the more time you spend sniffing your own farts and thinking about like how great and awesome you are. And the more you listen to us tell you how great and awesome you are, the more you think, you know what? The $4,800 that might start your business, don't ask me for that, I'm chilling. And I'm not saying from a human standpoint, I can't understand that. I don't get that. But I think to go out there and put that out there is corrosive. And it's not necessarily because it's him. It's because it's anyone. I've probably been guilty of it too, but we need to check ourselves real quick. And I won't just say him. I'll say we. We need to check ourselves because if Jay-Z or whomever else isn't going to tell their billionaire friends that they really should be paying their taxes, or if they're not going to tell their billionaire friends that this is the way they should use their lobbying power in government to affect systemic change for poor people, Mm -hmm. that the best thing you can do about prison reform is not to hire more lawyers or to uh, change prison reform laws. The best thing you can do about prison reform is keep people out of prison. And the best thing you can do to keep people out of prison is to change the structures and the standards of where they live, right? To make food readily available to them, to make housing readily available to them, to make opportunity uh, readily available to them. And the best way to do that is a lot of real structural changes in America. If you're not going to have that conversation, the least you could do, 
And I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying to anyone that's out there, the least you can do is not go on Kevin Hart's show and say, don't ask me for nothing. Yeah. I'm chilling. Because they not chilling. That's the only thing that I'm saying. So I just, for me, has nothing to do with a Jay-Z thing. Like, <laughs> but to me, we anybody that's doing a little bit better, we got to think differently about that. Okay. All right, cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> whatever. Sorry I was so long-winded about it, but it's, it's, it's good because it's, it's... You passed it. I know. He, Jay-Z, he ruffles your feathers. It's okay. Shut up, You're man. You're passionate about it. I knew we were going into a 20-minute whole little monologue. There. Also because I need to be better at speaking succinctly. You guys, I'm still learning. I'm not... It's a podcast. Can, this is the space for you. I can, No, it needs to be more succinct. It needs to be more succinct because I need to... You know what I mean? But in this situation, I'm like, look, man... You know, I, I know how y'all don't y'all haven't been around, man. Just last thing I say, I learned this at TMZ. Like nobody, there's no solidarity that exists anywhere. Like the solidarity between the rich and famous. I believe that. Like no solidarity. I there are so many people that are more rich than they are black, that are more famous than they are black, that are like it's like I they agree. are in a club that's hard to get into. They never want to leave. And if they would have it their way, nobody else would ever enter. It's just facts. They would gatekeep. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, all right. Albert Hughes interview. Continental, Mel Gibson, Tupac. Take it away. Okay, the show is the Continental from the world of John Wick. It's a prequel series to one of my very favorite action series franchises of all time, Young Winston. Doing his thing in New York. We have one of the creators on with us right now, Albert Hughes. And this officially means that we have finished yep. the Hughes Brothers mm-hmm. duality. <laughs> we had goals. Go- goals. We got, we got both of them. We've put them together. We had your brother on before mm-hmm. to talk about Dear Mama, the Tupac a documentary. Fantastic. And now we have Albert Hughes joining us on Higher Learning today. My brother, how are you doing? I'm great. And I have to give you a shout out for my daughter, Adrian Hughes, first, because uh, she told me, let them know, Rachel and Van, that um, you guys got her through COVID. Oh, wow. And her li- she told me about the show way back when. Like, you got to start watching the show. I knew about you, but I didn't know about the show. So she hit me to it, but she wants you guys to know that she loved you and you got her through COVID. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank tell her, tell her thank you. Appreciate um, that. I watched the show. Uh, loved it. Loved it. I'm a huge fan of John oh, Wick. Wow. Gigantic fan of John Wick. The first John Wick was one of the, I guess, most pleasantly surprised I've ever been in a theater. I'm, oh, wow. Oh, for sure. And he's like the, a, oh, yeah. a huge movie buff. So just to hear you say that is, I'm like, whoa. Just real quick. Because <laughs> well, you would think, you you think it's just a genre movie and you don't know what you're in for. And then it's, it's like elevated. It's elevated. It, there's world building in it. They're breathtaking action scenes. I remember they're doing all of this stuff. They're setting up uh, how badass of a guy John Wick was or is. And then um, they uh, attack his house. He jumps over there, and from <laughs> then on, it is up. I'm like, what the fuck are we watching? Um, what made you want to jump into this world, man? There's been so much uh, so much world building already done in the four movies. Why this project for you? Well, it's like almost something I spoke to earlier. It's like, you know, we were all in the middle of COVID, stressed out, not knowing what's next. And I just come off of Good Lord Bird, which dealt with the 
slavery in a biracial boy through a biracial boy's eyes. Uh, we've done the inner city thing. We've done uh, generational trauma, gun violence, all that stuff. And I just, I just want to check out and have fun. Looks like they're having fun. So maybe if I'm having fun, the audience will have fun. And I just need a bit of escapism. And that's what I got from those movies. Three had been out to the, up to that point. And when we were making this, they, when we finished, they had already had a cut ready for me to see like a three and a half hour cut of John Wick 4. And again, there was uh, the escapism. There, it, it feels like a parallel universe and it doesn't invite in any, any kind of everyday realities. And it seems like a subculture. Um, so I was like, I just, I just want to have some fun and ho- hopefully the audience will too. It makes me think of something. Spoiler alert here. If you have not seen the John, <laughs> anything in John Wick, I'm wondering when you were working on the Continental, did you know at that time that John Wick would not be with us anymore? You had no idea. Cause it's like right on time. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends on if you look at it from a European sense or an American sense. You know, oh, the Europeans have very vague endings. It, it wasn't like with a jet lag. Um, it wasn't, to me, I read that John Wick 4 ending as open-ended. Oh. It's the death of the assassin John Wick, maybe not the man John Wick. And if you read interviews with Keanu and Chastahelski, they kind of nod to it. I think Americans take it quite literal. Mm-hmm. I live in Prague. I live in Europe. So I, I didn't take it literally. Um, I didn't know about, uh, spoiler alert, I didn't know about what would happen to Sharon. That we didn't know about. Oh. And that was kind of like, whoa. And then the real life tragic situation, like on top of it, you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, pressure on that young actor playing Sharon. And I think he came through with flying colors, but um, that was more, more of a heavy lift. Did you know Lance Reddick? No, I don't think I've ever met him. I may have in the nineties because the nineties were wild and you you, met everybody back then, Mm -hmm. Um, but he wasn't the Lance Reddick we, we now know, you know? Yeah, tremendous, mm-hmm. tremendous man, uh, fantastic talent, unbelievable tragedy, um, and very shocking and sudden. So uh, heart goes out to his family and his friends again. Um, yeah, exactly. Look, you were just talking about John Wick. So tell us when John Wick 5 is coming out. Go ahead. Come on, tell us. <laughs> you know. Yeah, like you, you just basically, you I just, think, I mean, you, you, you know, it's, tell us when it's yeah. coming out. It just seems like I heard rumors, or it might be online, that Chaz Tehelski is doing Highlander. So oh, wow. either he's going to be made an offer he can't refuse and move on to John Wick 5. And with that is like, you know, Keanu has to, um, his body has to recover because, you know, we're all not like 25-year-old guys anymore. And I would suspect it's only my, my I haven't heard anything, but in a couple of years. Mm. Wow. I mean, that's news to me. I oh, yeah. Again, I took it in a literal sense. I was like, oh, he's not with us anymore. What a beautiful ending. That's how, that's how I was, a beautiful way to well, end it. Well, you but- should, you should. You should read some of the articles that they talk about test screening two different endings. And one was a definitive kind of um, uh, death. And one was more open-ended, I think it was. And this was the one that they wanted, uh, Chad and Keanu. And the audience preferred this one because I think some, I think maybe a small percentage read into it the way I read into it. Mm -hmm. It's a persona, I think, that's that's dead. To me. To me, again. I haven't heard it from them directly, but I I read some interviews. Which is curious. I, I wonder, with the persona being dead, I wonder what a John Wick 5 would look like. But I'm not as well-versed in movies and in and, and different, and like the way that Van is, but I was captivated by the John Wick franchise. And I'm wondering, for a person like me, who maybe isn't as much of a moviegoer, what do you think, what elements of this whole John Wick universe 
are like, do you feel that are so captivating to audience members? Like, what is it that draws us in that wants us wanting so much more? Well, I think it's a few things. And let me speak to the women thing first. Uh, you know, it's an anomaly for women to make up half the fan base of any action movie. Mm. And John Wick has that. It's it's a, it's about 50-50. And, you know, it could have anything to do with the persona of Keanu Reeves in real life and him meeting up with this character <laughs> that's like the man with no name and Clint Eastwood. I've never seen a better match since then. You know, his, his uh, set of skills as an actor matched up with the character. And then there's the puppy. It's a revenge mission set off by a, a puppy. Um, so that always warns people of hearts, uh, whether it's men or women. But I also think the the world is very mysterious and they don't give you all the answers. And there's uh, something pulpy and campy about it. But it, at, again, at an elevated level, you're there to have a good time. You're not there to take anything too seriously. Like, I think some people take it, depends on the audience, they take it very seriously. But when you slap at the back of a horse's ass and just hitting some guy in the face in John Wick 3, that's meant to get a laugh, you know. Um, it depends on who who's watching it. And, and with the show, I went in with that kind of pulp, campy kind of elevated attitude and hope that no one's taking this too seriously. Of course, in all the films, there's like this under, underlying dramatic, dramatic story being told that you have to buy into for this world to work. But again, it's the, it's the mystery, not knowing everything and gold coins and markers and, mm-hmm. you know, all these rules and yeah. things in Greek, you know. That the high table of the whole nine, they they invented like a whole mythology. The adjudicators, right? yep. Like the, the one mm-hmm. point where everyone is an assassin. He's walking through there, and everybody's getting the message. And is the whole world paid assassins? Oh, yeah. It's just funny. Um. So look, you are a brave fucking guy. Let me tell you why. I read something Uh-oh. to where it was your decision to cast Mel Gibson in the Continental. Am I to be understood there? It was a group decision. It was a group decision. But you guys didn't shy away from yeah. it. Now, two things that I've no. seen when people have been talking about this is, number one, the fact that it's a John Wick prequel. And number two, that Mel Gibson, someone who is equally offended almost every different corner of the world, is prominently featured in the show. Uh, what kind of... What, what was that decision like for you? And let me tell you why. I have had a lot of fun with some of the Mel Gibson rants on this podcast, he has, he said to me, the single most racist phrase that anyone has ever said. Like, it's breathtaking how racist it is. He he once told his ex that if you get raped by a pack of niggers, it'll be your own fault, all right? So a lot of people look at a person like that and they say he's unemployable. Was casting Mel Gibson in this just because of who Mel Gibson is and the talent and what he could bring to the role or is there a larger comment being made by you guys about separating the art from the artist or people's past or something like that for people that are a little bit upset by that mm-hmm. what would you say i would say um he was cast for a reason he fit the role very well and it's your decision as an audience member once you watch it to come up with your own opinion of it and that's it I just thought with the group that uh, he worked for the role. And again, we were talking earlier about this European sense, American thing. You know, you can read into a lot of things and I'm not here to answer all those questions in a way. Mm. You know, I want the audience to come out with their own opinion. Um, um, Beyond that, it's like uh, I I had this great cast 
that uh, I don't want being overlooked either, that are, are all these different um, ethnic backgrounds, and they're just wonderful to work with. You know, Hubert Pontijor, Michelle Prada, Ayo, who played the young um, Sharon, and it's a very eclectic New York kind of based movie. And I, I, I would I would hope people just take it for what it is and, and breathe it all in with kind of, again, escapism and fun. Do you, do, do you, one, one, one follow up. Do you think that we are in this particular era too hung up on the sins of past creatives, things that people have said, things mm. that people have done? Um, do you think we need to be less chained to the mistakes that people have made and more open to the art that they create in spite of things that they've done? Uh, that's a very nuanced, big conversation that would take another 30 minutes to get into. And I, I know where you're headed on it. <laughs> I, I do, I do. <laughs> I, I do think that, um, you know, for, for a country that's into, um, you know, they're very much into their Bible and they're very much into forgiveness. If, if somebody is uh, putting themselves forth um, doing that, you know, there could be a second look. It depends on what, what has happened or transpired in the past, you know, um, depending on each situation. It's, it's, it's a very complex thing that, uh, you know, I just want to, talk about the show and not get dragged into all that stuff mm. you know with all due respect it's like i just um i don't want the rest of the the the, the cast and crew to be overlooked you know right yeah. right okay one last question on it <laughs> not tracking you into it but <laughs> i am wondering did you have or you know like you said it was a group effort it wasn't just you was there any type of hesitation knowing that you know there is a sector of uh, you know the audience or, or certain people that because I know that you, when you were talking about this, you said the beautiful thing about John Wick, you talk about the escapism of it and that it doesn't have anything to do with race or politics or religion. But when you see mm -hmm. a figure like Mel Gibson, who has become polarizing in a lot of ways, it does, it triggers that a little bit, you know, for for certain people. Mm -hmm. Was there hesitation? Was that, was there consideration of that when you decided to to bring him in um, to be a part of this cast? Well, I think when you have a group, uh, there's consideration for anybody. You know, right. um, it, it doesn't just mean him. Um, it could it could be anybody, and you, you discuss in, in in depth every angle on every person. Um, you can even let's take a actor X. Well, we we heard that they you know two projects ago had a problem on this with their attitude on the set, blah blah. blah. So yes, those discussions take place for everybody. Um, not denying that. Um, um, and it was no different this time. Mm -hmm. So, you know. The body count in John Wick, man. <laughs> I, 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 I really, no, seriously. Like, I've, I've always tried, because you guys have a body, the body count isn't as big on the Continental. You know, you, you guys, it's body count, but it's not as big. John Wick. It, it's a lot. He killed like a thousand niggas. Easily. Like, he, he, John Wick yeah. is just, John Wick <laughs> is like, he, 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 I think he's killed, he no, probably no. killed, He's just killing. Have you right? tried to count? There's a count somewhere. There's, 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 there's a, a count, count somewhere. somewhere like, he's killed like a lot of people. How were you guys, you didn't have that one stellar assassin that is like the central thing of the movie. This is kind of more about, I mean, obviously Winston's in it, um, but this is kind of more about the world of it. What was it like mm -hmm. making a John Wick show without John Wick. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it, it could be a challenge or it could be pressure, but I was too busy to think about it. And my brother <laughs> and I have always been wired not to think about pressure and the challenge of it all. Um, and, you know, you have those people out there that want 
John Wick in it. And, you know, but it's in the 1970s. He would have been a little boy. And it is about world building in a prequel sense. Like you look at what Noah Hawley did with um, uh, Fargo. You look at what Tony Gilroy is doing with Andor. You look at what oh, John Favreau absolutely. did with Mandalorian. And you're like, okay, they're, they're playing by different rules in the same universe. They don't have Han Solo. They don't have uh, Darth Vader. They don't have a lot of things. But uh, like Andor opened with two pretty brutal murders. Um, and and kind of grounded that show in somewhat of a, a reality. Um, I haven't finished the series, but it was masterfully done. I think I've only seen three episodes. Oh, um, so oh, I come uh, at it. Albert, I come at it Albert, like that. You Albert, finished it? Make some time. Oh, <laughs> I'll play, oh my god, bro! It is you because you haven't even gotten to Luthen's monologue yet. Like you make I think some. I'm only three in. Oh my god! I wish I was you. You have such brilliance that you're about to get in, get get in touch with. Like, make some time, brother. It really oh, is a, fantastic. But that was what I was impressed about. Like, you start that first episode out like that, you know, and there's no lightsabers and no Millennium Falcons, and it's it's just a that, you know he's a top writer that guy Tony Gilroy. So yeah. I think for us it was we got to have that. You have to um, what do you call it? Reverse engineer the John mm -hmm. Wick, even the fighting styles, the guns, everything. And hope that people understand you're in the, the 70s. Mm -hmm. And we have different opportunities to replace uh, Keanu's kind of flavor in some ways. Like, okay, we got needle drops that are kind of like familiar. People are familiar with these uh, these songs from the era. And then we get to episode three where it does go balls to the wall. And bodies are dropping left and right, you right. know. Um, but nothing is, uh, you know, Sean Wake sometimes go through a disco. I say disco because I live in Europe. Um, <laughs> goes through a disco and just starts popping off 100 guys, you know. Um, we don't have that real kind of feeling until you get to episode three and it's done in a more 70s style i guess you know throwback kind of nods to black exploitation or even uh classic uh movies from the era whether it's taxi driver or warriors or the french connection or my favorite 1969's uh, midnight cowboy do you think because there is this desire from the audience do you think that we'll see you do more with the continental and maybe the two worlds will connect yeah, that would be interesting. I haven't heard anything because they always, you know, the, the dollars have to make sense and mm -hmm. eyeballs have to be on the show for them to even uh, talk about it. I haven't heard anything, but I think a lot can be explored in that world because, it's again, it's so mysterious. You can just pull out any kind of character or sub-character. Like, I'm I'm, I'm fascinated by the adjudicator in John Wick 3 and the one in our show. And I'm like, I don't know too much about her, but I like that she's coming to just laying down all these rules and punishments on on men mostly. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen a woman yet so far. Mm -hmm. And she just condescends them and, you know, speaks plainly to them and always has this kind of high style. And that character is pretty interesting to me. You know, there are a lot of characters in the show that are interesting, but none so mysterious as her. And I love also Yen, um, the Vietnamese um, actress, Kate, who plays uh, Yen, and what she does, she, she don't take no shit. You know, it, it again, it's a throwback kind of, whether it's black exploitation, early cinema in the 70s of, of even Bruce Lee films. And people wonder why black the black audience is in, so into Bruce Lee. It's because we see ourselves in him. And he was one of the first on screen kicking ass. Mm -hmm. He wasn't black, but he was Asian. So we saw ourselves in that. And, that, and there's whole think pieces on Bruce Lee and why the black audience um, um, are so in love with him. Yeah. So your brother did just, you know, it's crazy. I didn't want to watch it. I didn't want to watch Dear Mama. Really? Dear Mama? I, yeah, you know, I, I felt it's like... It's emotional. Yeah, it, it was. it's emotional. And also, yo, I felt like I knew enough about Pac, man. 
I, I, I did. I mm. felt like I had seen everything that they had to offer. Yeah. And everything that they had to do. I, I, there's not any kind of way that I was more interested in the life of Tupac. But I was wrong. I watched it. It was fantastic. It was really yeah, it was good. amazing, yep. right? You yep. guys knew Tupac. I was wondering mm-hmm. if you heard that in Las Vegas, a man named Keefe mm-hmm. D has mm-hmm. been arrested in connection mm-hmm. with the death of Tupac Shakur. Tupac Shakur. Tupac Shakur. <laughs> um, Tupac Shakur. Tupac Shakur. He's been arrested. He did a series of interviews. He wrote a book. And then he did a series of interviews. Mm-hmm. And in these interviews, mm-hmm. he, it's all but, I mean, he implicated himself in Tupac's murder. And it looks like yep. he is in a lot of trouble, very serious trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and there mm-hmm. could be all kinds of dominoes that fall from his arrest. You, somebody who knew Tupac, who had had some controversy involving Tupac, who knew, mm-hmm. I would say, the genius of Tupac and maybe some some of the bad parts of Tupac that people talk about. Mm-hmm. What was your mm-hmm. reaction to hearing that Keefe D had been arrested? Well, I was, it was a couple of days ago, I was in Budapest for a cast and crew stream, a Hungarian cast, just to be clear, Zach. Um, and in the middle of the screening, <laughs> in the middle of the screening, I get a text from one of our cast saying, did you hear they arrested somebody? I go, no, but I pretty much probably know who it is. It's Keefe D, who was in the passenger side. There was a driver. There was a guy that was next to the window that was being shot out. There was a Orlando Anderson behind Keefe D. Everybody on the streets and on Black TV and all online knew the story for years. The hood knew about it since it happened. And I think what happened is, you know, he had Queen for a day when um, uh, I think it was Kading that was interviewing him. So he can talk about other crimes without being implicated or prosecuted on that. And I don't think maybe my man didn't understand that man in that interview. And he went out and did the book and did the interviews. And I think uh, the police got egg in their face is what really happened because they all knew they've, they've known this for years. So why did it now? Why did now the story break? The irony is they raid the White House in Vegas. Like, first of all, he had nothing to do with Vegas at the time of the shooting. His wife, he's with now, must have been there or moved there later. It's it's no relation to the shooting why she lives there. And there's a lot of like weirdness going on around it. It's it's great that it's going to be so-called solved, even though everybody knew in the streets and online uh, what really took place, especially that um, documentary called Murder Rap. Yeah. You hear the recordings from KPD. And there's something really interesting about a criminal telling about their crimes, whether it's a mm. pimp, whether it's a, a murderer, a thief. It's these little tiny details that mean nothing. And he was talking about after the, the murder being on the corner of Las Vegas Strip and the, the ambulance is flying by. And he goes, yeah, and the ambulance stuff flying by. That was funny than the motherfucker. What he's talking <laughs> about is irony, right? Yeah. So when he starts talking, you're like, yeah, he's not lying. You right. know, in, in the details of the story, but why did it take so long? Right. And yes, my brother and I had our, our little thing with Tupac, but it was like a thing that we would have all gotten over and worked together again. That that, that uh, doesn't mean that um, we wished anything bad on him or anything like that. And, and you know, we still have to deal with his, his, his stand saying all kinds of crazy shit about us. Mm. Um, but in the end, I think what my brother did with that documentary that I love so much is it was a love letter to a friend. Mm. Um, and a love letter to a friend where he didn't know the full story of his life about the mother. My brother and I knew that his mother was a panther, but we didn't know that deep. I mean, her on trial, you know, defending herself, her her mouthpiece game, where he got his mouthpiece game from is 
obviously from her, his intellect, obviously from her. You see Aunt Glow, the same kind of gestures and articulation, and she's never been in front of a camera. So this is like uh, a generation or two pretty deep of, of the Shakur family and how they know the, the mastery of communication. And that's partly what shocked me about the documentary. It's like also how emotional it was mm. is the, the where he got his game from was obviously from his mother in the Black Panthers. Right. Yeah. I remember when we interviewed your brother, he was saying how much it took out of him to do like to work on this for mm. it all. Like it was very, very draining, but obviously rewarding for the things that you just said about the the love letter and everything. Um, speaking about you and your brother, obviously first major films, Menace to Society and Dead Presidents. Do you think that we will see you or him together, separately, whatever it may be, return to that genre mm. and do those type of films? If you're talking about the so-called hood films, <laughs> so you don't represent. Sure. Yes. Um, sure. The so-called hood films. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we call we call Menace, Dead Presidents, and American Pimp our Negro trilogy. Um, <laughs> um, not by it wasn't by it was not by design because um, we are biracial and we do have another half that is explored in every other movie. So we don't we don't need to do it. Uh, just it depends on the story, you know. He's going to do. Uh, I think he's attempting to do the Snoop Snoop uh, biopic. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I may return to reality, uh, sometime soon or not, you know, I don't know, uh, if we'll ever work together again. That's, I think, uh, more unlikely, um, we could produce each other. Um, but I don't think, uh, uh for diff- different reasons we would ever co-direct. Um, I did help him on, uh, dear mama early on. He wanted me to shoot some stuff and edit some demos for him, but uh, he, he wanted me to do it with him. And I went, no, it's yours. You know, you're the one that got the blessing from the estate. It, it wasn't us going in to get it. So I'll do whatever you want, anything you need. I'll shoot it. I'll edit it. Um, but I, I want it to be yours because I think he was very passionate about that story. Also, when we knew Tupac, my brother was all, always more the extrovert of the two. I was the introvert and I wasn't so verbal. Um, he was the mouthpiece for us. So they actually were a lot closer than Tupac and I. Um, we were friends, me and Tupac, but not, I wouldn't say I'm talking to him every night type of friend. Hmm. Um, I have one more question for you before I get to it. Just curious. Why wouldn't you and your brother direct together again? Well, we have two different opinions and we're twins. And I think his opinion, to be fair to him, is he believes it's a one person job. I was about to say one man job. I don't want to get in trouble. It's a one person <laughs> job Um, that there can't be two uh, directors. My opinion is that it's been done successfully in history and it was done successful with us. I think he's not into the conflict. He, he, he doesn't like the creative conflict i i thrive on it because i think the best idea comes out of that you know um he's wired differently than, than me and we both have different opinions but this reporter brought it up to me or journalist brought it up to me two weeks ago is my favorite uh directing partnerships from the 90s have all dissolved do you, do you have a theory as to why he said i was about to you ask know, you that we lost the, whether we, it's the cohen's I, I was about to ask you everybody. that you got just falling off the, we lost the wachowskis we lost the cohen's yeah. we lost the hughes brothers i was that was literally so my asked, next thing he, he asked, what was my theory? I said, well, it's an easy theory. Uh, any rock band um, in the history of rock or even um, black punk or soul, why did they break up? There's usually a list of five reasons, you know, and they're the kind of hit list of reasons. It could be one or it could be all of those things, basically. And I, I could look at the Coen brothers and I could look at the Wachowski and go, oh, I can see a little bit of what went on there because of my brother and I, we got older 
and kind of wanted, you know, our own identities. Although I, I was happy with the partnership because I'm the shy one. Mm-hmm. I'm the introvert and I, I'm good at writing all this stuff down and talking to the crew and you know, construction departments and everything like that. And I was uh, happy with the an- anonymity. I like the anonymity of not someone singling me out. So I like the umbrella of walking to a place and no one's pointing me out. Or in an interview, I would always stick him next to the host. Mm-hmm. Whether it was a Today Show with Matt Lauer, Katie Kirk, and next to the host. So we appreciate your time. And we know you got to get out of here. I, I have one thing to say to you just before you leave. Just real quick. We recently did a Denzel Washington draft on the big picture here at The Ringer. I don't know if you saw the results. But I can tell you, unfortunately, that of all the movies that were drafted, the Book of Eli was not drafted. Okay. Now I love the Book of Eli. Hold on, I do just, too. So like, wait, wait, wait. I swear, on my dad, I love the Book of Eli, but it was not drafted in this draft of Denzel's films. Okay? I understand though. And Twitter went fucking nuts. <laughs> they went really? nuts. Absolutely. Like, how could the Book of Eli have not hmm. been drafted? If you were going to take your top, we'll just, you don't have time for five, your top three Denzel movies, what would they be off the top of your head? Well, I would say the performance in Glory when he got that tear rolling down when he's getting whipped. <laughs> I'm just giving Glory. I won't give Glory. Uh, uh, maybe I'll give Glory two. Uh-huh. i give Man on Fire number one. Okay. And I, I guess I, I'm, giving it, I'm giving it Malcolm X just because of it's Malcolm Right. Not that necessarily like I think it's the greatest film he was in in the top three. It was well made. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think off the top of my head, that's what it would be. I'm not doing the other obvious choices. No. Where I would you put Big Book of Eli of in, in, in Denzel's entire filmography? Oh, I wouldn't even know where to place it. It's like I, 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 I'm not that t- type of dude. Like I, I, uh, he did some incredible stuff in that movie. And I understand that people don't, didn't draft it. Totally understand. Not hurt by it at all. Um, it that was a divisive film when it great. came out. Um, you know, you have to remember when it came out, it was divisive. I, I made a document the, the year before it came out. I said, we're going to have more problem with the liberals on this movie than we are with <laughs> the, the, like the Christian right. And you mm-hmm. can see it playing out at the beginnings of Twitter. And, you know, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I smelled that one coming. Right. Um, but I wouldn't, I, would, I wouldn't rank it. I just would, because uh, I can't see myself outside of the experience mm-hmm. I went through. And to be fair, it's like, uh, why would I pick any of my movies to be in anybody's top 10? Oh, wow. Wow. Humble man. Well, the Hughes brothers, man. <laughs> I, I can't believe it. The, no, the, we got so ego. Much. Don't don't get it twisted. We got an ego. <laughs> <laughs> we just don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't chest thump about the movies, though. All right. Uh, that is Albert Hughes. Um, the Continental is out right now. It's on Peacock. I want you guys to go and check that out. Both you and your brother, so gracious with your time. You guys are such important filmmakers in my life. If I had an hour and a half, I could pump that ego up very, very easily, <laughs> Albert. Hey, dude, oh, I want to come we, back and talk about a lot of things in the future because, uh, would, again, I, I watch your that, show now. Man. Love that. Appreciate you joining us on the uh, I, want, today, I want brother. to because when I'm, separate, when I'm separate from a project, I can speak freely on politics and all this stuff. But right now, you know, I got okay. the IP hanging over me. Got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also... You know, uh, uh, you know, I, I love my daughter for turning me on to to you guys. I already knew about you, Van, but I didn't know about the show until her. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that, brother. But thank you for joining us on the show today, man. Thank you, guys. Thank Peace. you. Take care. All right, that's it. No more podcasts. We're done. We're done. <laughs> it's over. Let them know, Rachel. 
We're going to be back Thursday. I want to talk more about stuff. What do you want to talk about? You want to um, talk about the other strike you said, right? You and I auto worker strike. Mm-hmm. I want to see what else is happening. Trump right now. Donnie, what did you say about Trump? What's going on with Trump right now? We should. He's in court right now in New York. Civil case. Uh, it? It's happening. As we record, there might be news for the listeners as you guys are listening. But as of right now, he's just in court. And we could maybe talk about uh, the niggas in the suits, too. Because I don't know what you think about that. The guys wearing the suits. Positive <laughs> images. Are we out? Maybe think of Black Men United. <laughs> I started thinking you will know in my head when I saw it. <laughs> you, well, you will. You will know. Take Donnie, us out. Take, take us, us out with that, Donnie. <laughs> <laughs>